There is one recurrent motif in the Indiana Jones trilogy, which has always intrigued me. Indiana Jones was a three-part movie series in the 80s, starring the actor Harrison Ford as Indiana. Indiana Jones was an archaeologist who would go on adventures to discover hidden treasures around the world. In part one of the trilogy, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana travels into Egypt to try to find the Ark of the Covenant the lost chest which holds the original tablets of the Ten Commandments. In part two, the Temple of Doom, Indiana travels to India to recover a magical stone. And in part three, the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones's mission is to quite literally find the Holy Grail. As you might expect, in all of these adventures, Indiana Jones is frequently threatened with harrowing life-or-death situations. Whether it be a pit of snakes, or a rickety bridge over a pool of lava, or just a pair of Nazis chasing him down the side streets of Cairo, Indiana Jones is always escaping death by the skin of his teeth. In the tumult of the chase, in the chaos of Indiana's frequent flights for his life, his hat often falls off his head. This is one of those wide-brimmed brown fedora hats, which has now become iconic. Whenever Indiana's hat falls off, no matter how much danger he finds himself in, he always takes the extra second to grab it, even though he is on the cusp of death. A giant boulder could be rolling down the mountain about to crush Indiana. He darts out of the way at the last second, and then his hat falls off. With just a fraction of a millisecond to spare, he manages to grab his fallen hat and still get out of the way of the boulder. I've always been slightly fascinated by this motif in Indiana Jones. You would expect Indiana to just leave his hat behind. After all, what does a hat really matter in a life or death situation? The rational thing to do here would be to just lose the hat. But Indiana does not behave rationally. In these moments in which Indiana grabs his hat, he is basically making the wholly irrational decision to still prioritize personal clothing style fashion, even when his life is on the line. Indiana is essentially saying, life is not just about surviving, it is also about doing so in style. Taken to its most radical conclusion, Indiana, by finding an extra moment to grab his hat, is saying, if you're gonna do something, do it classy. Life's not worth living if you don't do it in class, in style. You are listening to The Shrift, Life Tip 6, Malachi 1. Today, we live in a society which is drowning in capitalist values. Capitalism is so pervasive that we don't even really call it capitalism anymore. It's just the way things are. Capitalism has infiltrated nearly all societies around the globe, but it is, of course, especially prominent in America. 
I've spent the last six weeks or so in America, and I have noticed some disturbing differences with Europe. For one thing, in America, on Sunday, supermarkets are always open. In Germany, with a few exceptions, they are closed. Germany reasons that capitalism should have some boundaries. Now, if supermarkets were open on Sundays, then GDP could rise in Germany. More profits could be made. Germany could become a more wealthy and powerful country. But despite all this, Germany decides to make the trade-off. While it certainly would be nice to have more money, it's also nice to spend your Sunday at home, resting with your family, a deserved day off, a chance to live your life a bit more stylishly, a bit more elegantly, a bit more leisurely. America thinks otherwise. In America, supermarkets are open on Sunday. The principles of capitalism demand this to be so. It is a chance for more profits, more wealth. Here, the trade-off occurs in the opposite direction as in Germany. America reasons that relaxation and leisure time just do not match up against the opportunity to get richer. Capitalism is not just an ideology of profit-making. Behind profits lies the greater ideology of capitalism, maximization and optimization. Capitalism teaches us that all aspects of our lives should be maximized and optimized. Hang around in a capitalist society too long, and you will inevitably begin to think this way, at least to some extent. You will look for better deals, a better use of your time. You will view life increasingly as an equation in which more, and not necessarily more money, just more, equals better. To us, this way of life seems normal, but that's just because it's all we know. But you don't have to look very bar far back in history to see that it wasn't always this way. Capitalism is a rather new ideology, in fact. In the ancient world, the Middle Ages, and even in early modern Europe, for example, the economy was based on the guild system. The guild system. In the guild system, each sector of the economy had its own guild. There was, for example, a baker's guild, a blacksmith's guild, a jeweler's guild, a weaver's guild, and so forth. Under the guild system, there was very little competition in the economy. Rather, each guild had a monopoly over the product which it made. To get admitted into a guild, you had to spend your early years apprenticing with a master, learning the craft and the trade from him directly. Once you had perfected your craft, you were admitted into the guild. Under the guild system, there was not ruthless competition to sell products as at low a price as possible. Guilds took their time when they made a product. There was not the same rush as there is today to pump out products as quickly and as cheaply as possible. The phrase, time is money, simply wouldn't have existed. If you look at clothing or buildings or jewelry, or even furniture from this era, you immediately sense the difference when compared to the same goods from our own time. You can see that these artisans and builders and craftsmen not only took pride in their work, but also took time with their work. Consider books, for example. If you look at books that are a few hundred years old or more, you see how elegant, detailed, and stylish they were. The German artist Alfred Dürer from the city of Nuremberg, for example, created woodcuts for, the, for many of the first books to be published with Gutenberg's printing press. Durer's engravings are exquisite and breathtaking, but they took time and they cost money. 
Back then, it didn't matter. If you're going to buy a book, you weren't comparing prices on Amazon to get the best deal. You viewed a book as a sacred object which deserved to be embellished by the most painstaking and refined art. Capitalism began to take root in Europe in the late 18th century. You need only read the novels of Charles Dickens to see that, by the 19th century, capitalism had already made certain parts of the continent very ugly places, aesthetically and morally. But it would take a long time before the capitalist mindset would chip away at all aspects of life. Beauty, for its own sake, was still prized in Dickens' time and beyond. Now, by contrast, beauty has become ridiculous when it leads to lower profits. The first editions of Kafka's books, for example, were published in the 1910s and 1920s, not so long ago. While these aren't quite as breathtaking as Durer's woodcuts, each of these books is still its own little work of art. The first publications of Kafka are often filled with original Art Nouveau paintings. The print in them is a beautiful calligraphy. Paperbacks, books which can be mass-produced as cheaply as possible, were far less common in that era. In Berlin, if you go to apartment buildings from the turn of the 20th century or even later, you can see a plethora of moments in these buildings where the architect took the time to add his own flourish to the work. On the floor, for example, there may be a mosaic which doesn't need to be there, but which the designer decided to include just because. Above the doorway, there may be a random sculpture of a baby angel or a Greek goddess, not because it needs to be there, but just for the sake of beauty. The architect or designer just wanted to show off a bit and embellish that which would otherwise be bland. And in Berlin, this is the case not just for expensive apartments, but even for some of the most dilapidated tenement houses. Even here, you can see the effort made to include some sort of superfluous refinement. Even if you drive down slums and ghettos in American inner cities, you can often see remnants of exquisite and superfluous architectural flourishes on the homes. This is because these homes were probably built in the 50s or 40s or even much earlier. They were built during a time where optimization and profit-making wasn't such a knee-jerk reaction, wasn't such an obsession or a default as it is today. In our times, home designers or pu book publishers just don't think this way anymore. The Parsha this week is Toldot, and the corresponding Haftarah is from the first chapters of the prophet Malachi. The book of Malachi is the final book of the prophets and was therefore written relatively, and I stress the word relatively, recently. It seems that Malachi was written in about 432 BCE, after the Jews had returned from their exile in Persia in the 6th century. In this opening chapter from Malachi, we find the prophet speaking out against the way animal sacrifices are done in the temple. Malachi is enraged at how these sacrifices are being performed. Interestingly, at no point does Malachi complain that the sacrifices aren't happening. Oh, they're happening all right, but Malachi doesn't like the way they're happening. He observes that while the Jewish priests are bringing animals to the temple, they are bringing animals which are sick or lame or blind. Sure, they're bringing animals, but they aren't bringing pure, beautiful, clean, healthy animals, which are befitting to be sacrificed before God. The same goes for bread which is brought to the temple. 
The priests are bringing bread to the altar to be sacrificed, but it is not good bread. It is some sort of old, impure bread. The priests protest to Malachi that they just don't have time to always find pure bread or a pure animal to sacrifice. But Malachi isn't persuaded. He responds to them, When you say that it is a burden on you to take the time and effort to sacrifice the right way, you sadden God. Malachi is thinking along the same lines as Indiana Jones or Dürer or those turn-of-the-century Berlin apartment builders. Malachi is saying, Bring embellishment, bring style, bring class to whatever you do, even if it seems irrational or even nonsensical to do so. Do you live in a house just to have four walls and a roof over your head? Or instead, to elevate the very act of dwelling and existing? Do you read a book just to have the author's words communicated to you? Or is there something sacred about the very act of book reading to be treasured? Is the point of life only to survive, no matter how clumsily, no matter how coarsely you may be dressed? Or do you take the time to grab your fedora hat, even if you're walking across a rickety bridge hovering over a fire pit of snakes? There are two ways to do most things in life. The way which is fast, hurried, inelegant, efficient. Or the way which is beautiful, appreciative, and elevated. Therefore, there are two ways to practice yoga. You can leave the yoga mat out in your room as though it's a strange rug you walk past when you're carrying dirty laundry or coming back from the shower. Or, before you decide to do yoga, you can grab the rolled up mat from your closet, fling your wrists, and roll it out in the air as though, for a moment, it were a magic carpet hovering in the expanse. This is why, before you begin your yoga session, you should always light a candle first. If this seems unnecessary, or like a waste of time, or like it will make you even more behind on your day than you already are, then that is exactly the reason why you should light it. If Indiana Jones can take the time to grab his hat, we can take the time to light a candle for yoga.
und wer nicht tanzen will am Schluss, weiß noch nicht, dass er tanzen muss. Wir bilden einen Lebenreigen, ich werde euch die Richtung zeigen. Nach Afrika kommt Santa Claus und vor Paris steht Mickey Maus. We are 